last week, I never did. So anyway, I just thought I'd declare a victory over my memory here now. Anyway, um, it's always dangerous to let a preacher have a pulpit. These two guys, a couple others have been around a while. It's, uh, luckily, they say good things. It's good stuff. Uh, I, l- I love missions, too. It's just one of those things where you get to be a part of what God's doing. And uh, I thought it was interesting in that video we watched today how similar that neighborhood in New York could have been to Pueblo 100 years ago. Because um, we have a lot of different ethnicities that are generationally past since those immigrants first came here in Pueblo, but they're Puebloans, and, I, and I've lived here 13 and a half years, and I know I'm still not from Pueblo. That's all right. That's the way it works, right? Um, all right, we're going to start today in the Gospel of Luke, which if, if you've uh, got any semblance of a memory, would, uh, might remember that Luke is actually part one of two and Acts would be the second part. So we're going to go through the entirety of both books today. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Um, what, yeah, did you bring your lunch? That's the question, right? All right. Uh, but we're going to start in Luke chapter 21, in verse 10. And um, we aren't going to stay there very long, but I think it's an, an interesting uh, foretelling of what we see happen in Acts chapter 4. So, Luke chapter 21, and let's stand as we read. We've stood a lot today, but let's do it again. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, and in various places famines and pestilences. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance you will gain your lives. Our Lord, thank you for your promise of faithfulness. And it's, it's scary to read things like this. But to realize in the midst of all of these trials, these sufferings, you are there. And help us to be reminded of that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, I've had a lot of thoughts this week. Well, more than a couple at least. Um, I don't think terribly often, right? But um, uh, relating to this passage and, and really what we find in Acts chapter 3 and 4 it's the first moments that we see Christian persecution. What we saw in, in Christ was definitely persecution, but he was the Messiah. He was Christ, not the little Christ, as we would call Christians. And I started thinking about these things, and this passage popped up in my study, and I've got another passage I want to, uh, to visit here. I didn't get into the notes, but you can write down when we get that far and look at it for yourselves. I got to thinking about, and I've talked to others about it this morning already, how in the West, and that is the world West, not the Western United States, but in the world West, 
we, uh, Western Hemisphere, we have a pretty skewed idea of what persecution is. We tend to think that if our freedoms are violated somehow, that we are suffering for our faith. And that's a very American idea, by the way. And I'm going to tell you why. It's because not often in the history of the world have we seen the kind of freedom that has been offered in America. Um, it might have happened in some microclimates of the years, but your, America is unique, and it is something that we should defend, and we can have that conversation later. That's not why I'm here today. <laughs> but um, you won't find me neglecting to say the Pledge of Allegiance. Let's just put it that way, because I recognize that the freedoms that we have, the safety that we generally afford ourselves, is a product of our culture. And there's also problems in that and that we can get apathetic we can get lazy because we expect these freedoms we we expect these things happen but if you go around the world and you don't have to go far to see these things to see these realities people suffer for the name of jesus genuinely suffer and are tortured for the name of jesus and so when we read a passage like this all of a sudden we get scared I don't think we need to be scared because that's not the point that Jesus is giving us here. The point is, is that he is with us in those moments and nothing can happen to us any worse than what happened to him. Okay. What happened to him? You remember? We've talked about it a couple times. The crucifixion, the suffering leading up to it, death, and then he conquers it. And offers us new life by his spirit. But he nevertheless warns the church, warns his disciples that these moments will happen. And Luke chapter 21, Luke is organized differently than Matthew, but they're pretty similar. We see that this, if you just turn a couple of pages, you know, you're going to find out that Jesus didn't last much longer on earth here. He is warning his disciples about what is going to happen to him and what can happen to them along the way. And so as we go to Acts chapter 4, now we'll go there. We'll work our way through that passage. As we go to Acts chapter 4, what we find is the first evidence of this promise being fulfilled after the resurrection of Jesus. We don't know how many days it was after the day of Pentecost. We know that Peter preached a sermon after something happened, and then he does it again, something happens, and then he preaches another sermon. And this sermon gets him arrested. How many of you have ever been arrested because you preached? I hope that there's enough guilt, if that day comes, on my, my part that they can have reason to cause to arrest me. Reason for cause to arrest me. But what we find here is that, the G, that John and Peter have been teaching in Solomon's portico in the outer temple grounds. We saw those pictures last week. And he, they stir up the crowds enough that they get arrested. <laughs> yeah, here we are, verse 1 of chapter 4. And they were speaking to the people, and as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. 
And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. So they were speaking the truth, they were speaking the word of God, and they were causing a problem, and the, the, the riot was enough noise that they went ahead and just threw them, as my dad would have said, in the pokey overnight, right? Now, hopefully, that's never happened to you, and I would dare say it probably hasn't happened to you for this reason. But they were causing enough of a stir, a stir that it was a public safety issue. I have actually never seen that in our nation, that people preach the gospel so, so boldly that it becomes a public safety issue. There are other things that become public safety issues, but, but not particularly that. So there's cause number one right there. They were proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Why were they arrested? Were they arrested because of that? Actually, no. That's not why they were arrested. They were arrested because they caused a ruckus, and they had to speak towards then what they were saying that caused the problem that was happening publicly right then. But it was the first evidence that we have after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection of the church having, uh, being arrested for speaking the truth of the gospel. This is, a, this is a momentous occasion, not necessarily in the positive sense, but there you are, and it still happens in our world today. So they spend the night in the clink, all right? Verse 5, it says, On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. Now, have you guys ever heard of nepotism? Do I need to explain that? I might need to explain that for some people. It's basically when you get a job because your dad had a job and they get the job. And this is generational nepotism in the role of the priestly family right here. Annas was the retired high priest. Caiaphas was his son-in-law. You might recognize those names from a few weeks earlier. And that they were the ones that were, that were in charge when Jesus was brought to them. Well, the rest of these guys that are listed, they're all related to Annas as well. So they've brought together the high priests and the sons and the sons-in-law and all these guys who might have served in the role here and there and everywhere. And it's, it's good to have people that you trust around you. But sometimes you can have a little too much of a good thing. And that's really what was happening right here is that Annas and Caiaphas, and they remember the, the name of Jesus, obviously, because just two months earlier, or maybe a little longer, if we, if we start losing track of time in the, in, the, in the narrative here. But not terribly long ago, this guy, Jesus, whose name they speak, had caused the same kind of problems that now Peter and John had caused. And they felt like they needed to regain their control. So the Sanhedrin, who, is a group, who was a group that was composed of two separate factions in the Jewish, uh, in the Jewish culture at that time, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Remember, the Pharisees were the legal scribes. They were the ones who believed in the resurrection. And the Sadducees were sad, you see, because they didn't. This is why I don't tell jokes. All right, so... Uh, they, they, didn't, they didn't believe in the resurrection, so you had the Democrats and the Republicans, not necessarily in that name, but you had 
all of a sudden, religion became politics. And here are Peter and John bringing up the name of this guy they tried to get rid of two months ago. And it's all gone crazy again. So now, Peter and John are brought before them. Now, I want to tell you right now that these guys thought they were doing the right thing. Let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 13. I don't have those verses up there. You're going to have to use your own Bible. Deuteronomy chapters 13, the first, thir- thir- first 37, no, I'm just kidding, the first five verses. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Your walk shall, I'm sorry, you shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice, and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or dreamer or dreams shall be put to death because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you leave the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. Now, by looking at that, remember these these men were schooled in the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. They knew the law. And they saw these men as a threat according to Deuteronomy chapter 13. The problem was they didn't see God for who he is in the midst of it. But that's what got Jesus killed, remember? Why did Jesus get crucified? Because he said, I am. Because he declared himself to be God. And now they're taking issue with Jesus' followers for that same claim. And they're saying, you're teaching our, our, the people to follow after a false God. And Peter and John are are coming back with them saying, no, we're not. Can you see where worldviews might collide at that moment? They both claim the truth, but only one of them is correct. Actually, maybe they're both a little bit correct, but one of them is 100% correct with it. Let's keep rolling. Then Peter, here we go. Yay, Peter. Oh, wait, no, wait. Verse 7, I stopped at verse 7. And when they set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? In other words, the claim that they ask according to the law, whether they were looking directly back to what we call Deuteronomy 13 or not, that's the claim they ask. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well." Or in other translations that I learned this, actually this is, this is our memory verse for this month, by the way, verse 12, when we get that far, I'm sorry, uh, we're, this passage. He's before you whole. I like that picture. 
This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So Peter and John take issue with their issue. And they basically, as I mentioned before, blow up their worldview. And there's going to be a moment in your life when you might have heard all kinds of different things that the truth of Jesus becomes real to you. And that moment came when Peter and John and the disciples saw the risen Christ and saw him ascend and empower him, empower them with the Holy Spirit. And it's with boldness. Remember, he came in the power of the Spirit that they said these things. Now, I mentioned this earlier, talking with somebody. How much of the New Testament did Peter and John have to refer back to at this moment? Bingo. Zero. None of it. What Jesus had said in, ver- in John, I'm sorry, John, what gospel was it in? Luke 21 had just come to pass. Jesus brought to their mind the truth that they had heard for those three years walking with him. And they boldly stood before the leaders of the day and said, you killed him. I'm not sure I'd have that kind of guts. But Peter and John saw what had happened to Jesus, and then they saw what had happened to Jesus. They weren't scared anymore. When you come to a real, true, saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, there is nothing, there is not, no thing that you will be afraid to do because you understand who the king of the universe is and what he has done for you. And sometimes it takes a little bit of stress on our lives to see the gold pop out of the, the smelter. <laughs> that fire's got to burn to where we see that happening. Now, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees had a bigger problem on their hands than they had realized when they had arrested him. They thought they had the, the strength, the will, the authority to silence these twerps, right? You guys just keep bringing this back to me and I'm tired of it. But guess what? They knew what they saw. They knew what they experienced. And they proclaimed it boldly. And Jesus, the Holy Spirit, at work in their lives, brought to mind the things they needed to say when they were brought before the rulers and the authorities of the day. Now, guys, this was only two months later. Now, verse 13 When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. I think they were astonished for several reasons there. Number one, they were uneducated. They were fishermen, right? They sat on the boat all the time. Maybe they had the basics of of synagogue teachings along the way, but they hadn't been through the law school So this is the equivalent of somebody with an eighth grade education taking on a Juris Doctorate in our culture. 
Okay? You get where I'm coming from? They were commoners. They were fishermen. What nerve they had, first of all, to say it. But secondly, how did they know this stuff? They recognized they had been with Jesus. So, when you learn the Word of God, you believe what it says, it changes you. And it doesn't matter how many letters are after your name or what role you've been elected to. What matters is whether or not you speak truth and whether you believe what you're saying. And that's where it's coming down to here. But seeing the man who is healing. See, this is, this is what it is. When, when we see the testimony of what God has done, we can't deny that it's his work. And that's one of the important things about knowing your own story of faith is to learn and believe what God has taught us, but to also know that about that moment where it became true to you, became real to you. Not that it ever wasn't true, but the moment where it, it was, you believed it, right? I can deny gravity all I want to. The fact is, I'm not floating off to Mars right now, okay? The truth is that God loves us, that he has a standard, that we broke it, that God himself came as the son of man and fulfilled it, paid the price that we deserved, and now offers us eternal life through his resurrection. And that's where we come right now. <laughs> I love this passage. Oh my gosh, this is, this is just good stuff. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. The world cannot deny your testimony. But when they commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. This guy, remember who this guy was? He was the guy who was laying at the temple gate begging for alms. He'd never walked in his life. It says later, we're going to come to it and read it again. It says he was 40 years old, more than 40 years old, and that he had never walked in his life. They could not deny that something amazing had happened. And Peter and John did not take credit for them themselves. They gave it to the Lord. And in order that they may spread it no further among the people, let them warn them, let us warn them no. Verse 17, but in order that it may be spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. In other words, and I tell my family I don't like these two words, but this is what was being said to them. Shut up. Knock it off. Go home. Believe what you want to believe, but stop talking about it. Now, I don't know about you, but usually when those two words are invoked in something, it doesn't work, right? It's not a, usually in a respectful tone. It's not usually in, in something that will make, it, make any difference whatsoever. So, 
But this was their decision. We gotta, we gotta shut these guys up, they don't need to talk anymore, and we're gonna tell them to. That'll work. We're mean, we've got power, we have influence. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to, to God, you must judge. Deuteronomy 13. For we cannot but speak what we have seen and heard. Luke 21. And when they had, no, they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man whom, on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. The question that comes to my mind right now, as I think about where we are in our world and how concerned we get about political climate and being willing to say what we want to say, and the, who are we afraid of? Now, Peter and John, they were accused, but they had done a loving act in proclaiming the name of Christ in this paralytic's life, this man who had never walked. And now they were saying, the problem was not what you did, it's that who you say did it. But they can't prove them wrong. And so we get nervous and we get scared about saving our, uh, proclaiming the saving faith of Jesus Christ. That's fact. And yeah, it can be dangerous and it can be intimidating. Yeah. Okay. But what are we afraid of? What's the worst that could happen to us? Could they kill us? Yeah. But to live is Christ and to die is gain. Philippians 1.21. That's where we come to here. And that's the choice that Peter and John made. Under, empowered by the Holy Spirit under the authority of Jesus Christ, the risen Savior. And in His name, they proclaimed this. And this is the problem that, that these, these leaders of the day had. Now, what's keeping us quiet? Is it fear? Or is it unbelief? I didn't plan to ask that question, by the way. <laughs> But all of a sudden when I said it, God's like, yeah, is it fear or is it unbelief? Asking me that same question. What are we afraid of? I know people that are looking to go into dark parts of the world that are going to be bold in this proclamation. Why? Because the healing power that comes along through Jesus Christ. It's by His name that we are saved. Guys, we're going to try to do all these cool things that Peter and John did. Did they take credit for it? They did not. Now, Peter had his issues along the way. You continue reading the New Testament. He, you know, he, liked, he liked being popular. But ultimately, what we find is that salvation is in no other name except the name of Jesus. And remember that what we talked about last week, I think it was in Mark, when Jesus went to the pool in Bethesda, 
and, and told the guy to get up and walk? Did Jesus say, in my name, get up and walk? <laughs> he didn't need to say that because he's the author of life. And some of us wish that we could get up and walk today. And God may offer that healing. It says in scriptures it does. But the ultimate thing he calls us to do is to trust him. Because every one of these characters that we read of in the scriptures ultimately suffered the same fate. On this earth, they died. The wages of sin is death. We are all sinners and we all fall short of the glory of God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So in that name that Peter and John or proclaimed here, that name is whom we are called to obey, <laughs> who we are called to trust. So there may be something in your life. What are you going to give back to God today and say, please, Lord, take care of this for me? Some of you might have come to this place moments in a moment in your life long ago here on earth where you came to that saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, some of you may still need to take that step of obedience to trust him as your savior, to follow him in baptism, to declare your allegiance to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You may need to do that today, but realize there is no one to fear on this earth in doing so. Let's pray. Our Lord, you are faithful to us. Thank you for your goodness and your grace at work. I pray for hearts that would be obedient to your, your call today, that we 